right, so Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you not think, do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? This is Jesus speaking. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it is going to rain, and it does. Whichever one of you said it was going to rain this morning, we blame you. All right? And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? <laughs> Super clear, right? I figured since we're two churches coming together to worship, there's nothing better to talk about than division, right? So immediately it makes sense. But this doesn't sound much like Jesus, does it? I came not to bring peace, but division. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to bring reconciliation to all people and all things. So why is he now here saying, I'm going to bring a father against a son and a daughter against a mother? It's simply not what you would expect. But I think there's something going on slightly under the surface that Jesus understood because the passage ends with understand how to read the present time. Understand the time that you are in. So in order for us to understand why Jesus says I came to bring division, I want to actually look at another passage from John chapter 12. All right, so if you can jump to John 12, 30 through 33, I believe we have... uh, There we go. I've got the clickers. Yeah, there we go again. I'm not used to having this. This is wonderful, by the way. So I want to sort of weave these two passages together. I want to look at our passage from Luke and our passage from John because I believe they help us understand a little of what's going on here. So it says, now is the time for judgment on this world. This is Jesus speaking again. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Now this is really interesting because that word right there that says it is time for judgment on this world is the Greek word chrysis. Can everyone say chrysis? Chrysis almost sounds a little like crisis. And so this word has multiple meanings. It's translated here as judgment. But this word can also mean parting. It can mean conflict. It has to do with the decision that a judge makes. Now, whenever a judge makes a decision, what's going to happen? He's going to say, you are on one side and not on the other. There's going to be some sort of split. There's going to be some sort of distance. Now, Jesus says there's going to be judgment, but then he also says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So why is there going to be this division, this judgment? Why is there going to be this separation? Why is Jesus bringing division? Well, I think it's hidden right here in the passage. He says... I'm going to draw all men to myself. All men to myself, and including women. 
And how's he going to do it? By being lifted up from the earth. Because it says he's going to show the kind of death that he was going to die because he is lifted up on a cross. It was his death that offered people to come back to him. So when I start thinking about this, okay, Jesus came in order to bring everyone together. I think a little bit like a circle. So if you have your string, can you hold it up for us? Great. So we've got a circle here, and there's people in the circle, and there's people outside of the circle. The people outside of the circle rightfully being the Cubs fans, right? I'm glad you don't have rocks, because there could be a stoning. So <laughs> come to the baseball game, you'll see me wearing my Cardinals jersey, because that's how, yeah. Hey, thank you. Amen to that. So I picture Jesus coming and his life and his work a little bit like a circle. There's people inside, there's people outside. But what happens, I want you to start expanding the circle. So let me have this. We are going to unspool a bunch. Now start handing it, if you can, to the people around you and behind you. There we go. Yes, there we go. Keep pulling. All right, bring it forward. Here we go. We're going to get... We're going to get everybody in the circle. If you're not in the circle, I apologize. We can speak after service and I can counsel you. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm going to give that to you. All right, we pretty much have everyone in the circle now. So what was interesting is as the circle was expanding, you were simply brought into it. There was no door that was locked. There was no, what color of skin do you have? What political party are you a part of? What sports team do you like? Where were you born? What have you done right? What have you done wrong? How much of the Bible do you have memorized? How much money do you have? What kind of house do you live in? Where are you at in your career ladder? What college did you go to? What church do you go to? Do you have all the right beliefs or is anything heretical? Everyone was welcomed into the circle. And it reminds me a little bit of the book of Revelation when Jesus is, uh, and, and God is revealing the final renewal of all things. There's a city. And it's beautiful because it says that the city of this gate is never shut. Meaning that the door is open to anyone who wishes to come in. Now, they need to come in by Jesus, but the door is open because Jesus' death and resurrection opened it for anyone who comes to know him, you are welcomed into that circle. But here's the problem. Anytime that you welcome everybody, is everybody going to be happy about it? <laughs> no, because some people are going to stand at the edge of the circle, and I'm going to look inside. <gasps> no, thank you. If they're in there, not for me. Jesus' death and resurrection covered someone who believed that, who did that, who thinks that, who looks like that, who's from that place, who's from that area, who doesn't act like me. I don't really want to be a part of that. <laughs> it was fascinating. When John and I were talking this week about the sermon, he sent me this quote from Wendell Berry. It said, some Christian spokespeople give the impression that the highest Christian bliss would be to get to heaven and find out that you're the only one there. That you were right and all the others were wrong. <coughs> because here's the thing. 
When Jesus says the only way in is by grace through faith, right? We learned this from Paul. When Jesus welcomes everyone, that means everyone is welcome. That means that the old systems are not going to function correctly anymore. Now, this doesn't mean you get in on your own works, right? The whole point is you get in despite what you've done, despite who you've been. It's completely to the boasting of Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection. It's because of Jesus that the circle of the world is expanding to include anyone who wants to come in by him. But when that happens, it is going to mess up the systems of the world. So think about the time of Jesus. Who did Jesus constantly have issues with? The Pharisees. And who are the Pharisees? The religious leaders. Why is he having problems with the religious leaders? Because they previously were the gatekeepers. We get to determine if you don't look like us, if you don't do everything like us, if you don't think like us, even if you're not born into the same family, you're not welcome into the circle. And who else does Jesus have a problem with? The Romans. The Romans in the first century controlled the land of Israel. They were a foreign occupying force who was going across the world trying to make everyone Roman. So when someone comes and says, hey, I'm going to welcome in the prostitute, the tax collector, the Jew, the Gentile, the Romans got scared. They said, well, we don't want that type of world. That means everyone's first and foremost commitment isn't to the emperor. It's to Jesus. But Jesus said, you're included as well. So the circle's getting closer to the Pharisees, closer to the Romans, the people with the power, the military, and they start backing away. <laughs> not if you're going to let those people in, not if it is going to look like that. So you can see why Jesus says division is going to result from his life and his message. Because his life and message is, it's all about me. And I don't mean me, Phil. I mean Jesus. Because of what I am doing, because I will be lifted up, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Because of the cross, because of what he did, everyone is welcome. But there's three reasons I believe we divide. We divide because of power, we divide because of comfort, and we divide because of security. The door is open, but we sometimes lock it because we say, I'm not comfortable with those who are in there. So what this makes me think of is in the first century, people often ate in what was known as a triclinium. Now, a triclinium was like a U-shaped room. And what they did is they had couches along the outside of the room that went in a big, almost full circle to the door. And you remember Jesus teaching when he's like, take the lowest seat, not the highest, right? The seats would be ranked in order. But beyond this, in the ancient world, people didn't sit at the table like we do. What people did is they reclined. So you see often in the New Testament, Jesus reclined at the table. So the people that were sitting next to each other, you would lay on your side. Can everyone see me okay? I bet John's never laid on this, has he? <laughs> I'm the first one and the last. Here we go. So you would grab your food from the table and there'd be someone to your right and someone to your left. But here's the thing, the person to your left, their head is like almost in your lap. This is the idea when Jesus talks about being in Abraham's bosom. You guys know that passage? It's the idea of you're at the table with Abraham and you're lying next to him eating. You are in his presence. It's like that person's head is in your personal space. You better hope that they don't have too dry of a scalp, right? 
This is why who you ate with at the table in the ancient world was a reflection on who you were. You only ate with people that were like you. People of your same social status. This is why Jesus has to point out to people, don't just invite those who can repay you. These people would only invite people like them to recline at the table. This was one of the most intimate things you could do in the ancient world. This determined your place in the social standing. So when Jesus comes along, he is a Jewish man who is a rabbi, a respected teacher, and he's going and eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. (laughs) What would the people have thought? Well, that's what Jesus must be like. The tax collectors were the thieves of the ancient world. People hated the tax collectors because they could charge basically whatever they wanted, give the part they owed to Rome, and keep the rest for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, not much has changed. 2,000 years. And then prostitutes, sinners, people that didn't belong, people with disease, people with other issues. And so you see the religious people saying, why does he eat with those people? And they were upset at him. They questioned him. And Jesus is basically saying the triclinium, literally the table, almost being a circle. Hold up your circle. (coughs) Yeah. There we go. Yeah, you're getting in on it. Good job. The circle, he says, is open. You can come to the table as well. Everyone is welcome. And people say, that guy's in there. That Gentile, do you remember in the early church when Peter's eating with the Gentiles and other people come and he's like, nope, can't do that anymore. Because they believed you couldn't eat with those types of people. Thank you, you can put that back down again. Or you think, whoa, that person, they're from that strange land. They immigrated here. They don't speak like we do. They don't look like we do. They are not welcome. And if you're going to welcome them, we've got a problem because I can't welcome them. They're going to cost us. They're going to make us uncomfortable. They might change things. Nope, I'm out. (laughs) Or, whoa, they have a different belief than me? They're of a different political party? Oh my goodness, don't invite them over. Don't, Don't let them in. Oh, they think differently than us. We can't worship with them. You need to push them away. They look different. They think different. They're not welcome. Jesus' very inclusiveness is what causes exclusion. Does that make sense? Not from Jesus' side, but from those who say, if you are truly going to welcome everyone, I want no part of that. This is interesting. Have you guys, who's read C.S. Lewis' The Great Divorce? Yeah, wonderful book. And it's amazing because he paints this picture of hell. And when he's, when he's in hell... He's looking to speak to different people. And what's fascinating is no one's living close to other people. There were towns, but now they're abandoned. And he's picturing, you know, hell. And he says, I went to this town. There was like no one there. So I traveled to the outskirts and there was one person there. He's like, well, where did everybody go? Oh, everyone kept fighting. So they kept moving further and further and further away. So you'll keep finding abandoned houses. Like I think Napoleon is somewhere like two light years in that direction kept moving further and further apart. Which is the opposite idea of God's kingdom, where he says, we're going to throw a huge banquet, and he's like, go out to the streets and invite everybody. Just bring them in. We need to fill the room up, because all are welcome. 
We are made in the image of God. Have you ever realized God is a trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means we're made in the image of a community. Which means as individuals, we need one another to fully express the image of God. So the idea of like Wendell Berry, when he's, when he's sort of poking fun, right? When he says, get to heaven and find out you're the only one there, that you were right and all others wrong. Here's the thing, that's impossible. Because you're made in the image of God and you need other people. So one way that Jesus causes this division is by getting us out of our comfort zone and saying there's a calling to be in community with those who are going to make you uncomfortable. It is a call to be in community that those who even disagree with you theologically, those who disagree with you politically, those who think different, who act different, who are from a different background, he says, we are all welcome. And Jesus knew it's going to cause division. But second, division is caused because of power. Now, I want to read this question to you, and all of you, we'll see how good of a job John has done right here, all right? So for those of you at Hope, this is a test on your pastor, okay? Ready? You guys are looking really serious right now. All right. Imagine this question. This is John Dominic Crossan who wrote this. He says, there was a human being in the first century who was called divine, son of God. Some of you are like, I know the answer. We're okay. Son of divine, son of God, God and God from God, whose titles were Lord, Redeemer, Liberator, and Savior of the world. Who was that person? Jesus wrong sorry to proclaim them of jesus the christ was thereby to deny them of caesar augustus in the first century before these titles were given to jesus divine son of god 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 of god redeemer liberator and savior of the world were titles for caesar the leader of the roman empire So you're right that they were given to Jesus. So it was a trick test. All is forgiven. But he goes on in the passage to say, to proclaim them of Jesus the Christ was thereby to deny them of Caesar. Augustus, Christians were not simply using ordinary titles applied to all kinds of people. We didn't call everyone a savior, everyone a redeemer. Or even extraordinary titles applied to some special people in the East. They were taking the identity of the Roman emperor and giving it to a Jewish peasant. Do you know the problem with taking the name of an emperor and giving it to a Jewish peasant? Do you know what that's called? Treason. To say my first and foremost citizenship is not in the Roman Empire, but in Jesus' present but not yet kingdom... How do you think Caesar felt about that? Probably not very good. See, the Romans had this idea that they could conquer the world and make everyone Roman. They were the occupying force in the land of Israel. Anyone who might upset the system, do you know what they did to them? They put them on a cross. In fact, in the first few centuries, Christians were called atheists by some. They were called haters of humanity. Why? Because they said we refuse to participate in a violent system that helps some and not others. That that is wrong. Thank God you wouldn't get in trouble for saying such a thing today. But the truth is, 
when you make a claim that there is one God who is Jesus, who led us to love God and love others, to serve, to sacrifice, to welcome everyone in Christ, through Christ, that goes against every other system in the world, that goes against Republican and Democrat, that goes against anything or anyone who says, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay, just do this this one time. Oh, it doesn't matter if it's going to hurt that person or that thing, it's okay, we have the power. When you threaten power, people in power do not appreciate it. And so this is why Jesus is killed. Why do you think Pilate went along with the crowd? He went along with the crowd because he feared an uprising. And the Romans didn't like uprisings. They wanted everything smooth. They wanted the status quo. And when you come and say, no, 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 there's another way, that's going to cause division. Division even when Jesus says, you're welcome too. Even though you want to kill me, even though you don't get it, I'm dying for you too, and you are welcome. The question is, are you willing to give up your power? Are you give, willing to give up your position, your comfort, your own status, your own ruling over other people for your own comfort, for your own security? Are you willing to give that up to accept the free gift of belonging to God's kingdom? And for some people, the answer was, well, no. I'm not doing that. I like having my power. I like being the one in control. I like being the one to make the rules. I like the one who has everything even though others have nothing. I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with my rights. Don't let someone infringe on my rights. And Jesus is like, I provide everything you need. What are you worried about? So there's comfort, there's power, but then there's also security. And what I mean by security is, again, the Roman Empire believed we can go about the world and by killing our enemies, we'll make everybody Roman. And if everybody's Roman, by us forcing them to be Roman, then there'll be peace because everyone will be Roman. Did that work very well? No. Why? Because they're forcing people in. Jesus is saying not peace through victory. We don't gain peace by taking over others and getting victory over them. Jesus says we gain victory by bringing peace. He flips the Roman narrative and says, I am going to die myself in order to bring peace so that everyone is welcome, not based on their own strength or their own power or their own ability, but by simply accepting this gift. But in the ancient world and today, it's not thought of very well to be someone who dies for their cause, because you're supposed to be the one with the strength. And so it's fascinating because in the ancient world, they've uncovered this, um, I guess you could call it art. It's like a scratching on a wall, and it comes from the first couple centuries. And what's interesting is, if you can see, there's a cross right here, and there's a donkey on it. Can everyone kind of see that? There's the head of a donkey, and there's a guy here with his arm reached up, worshiping this donkey on the cross, and the Greek says, Alexamenos, who apparently was this guy's name, worships his God. <laughs> now, do you know who this God is that they're talking about? Jesus. This is some early art mocking Christians for saying, Alexamenos worships his donkey God who died on a cross, because what God would die on a cross? They're mocking him. 
saying weakness is not strength. Strength is strength. Military is strength. Weapons is strength. Having my power and my ability and my own thing, that's strength. And for the early Christians, they said, well, strength actually is giving your life up so that all can be included. A very different message when you say, do not kill your enemy, but die for your enemy. You can see why that would cause some division. People would say, wait a minute, in order to come in here, I I need to lose my life? And Jesus is like, oh yeah, you lose your life, but I give you your real, true, full life. Or you can hold on to it and lose it. And his point is, in our world, when we try to include, when we say it's not about violence, it's not about power, it's not about security, it's not about being wealthy, it's not about being famous, it's not about being playing it safe, pushing those out you don't agree with or don't like, those who are different than you. Jesus says, I was lifted up on the cross, and I don't care what mocking I take, because my lifting up invited all those in that no one else will invite in. All those who don't fit somewhere, those without the power, those without the money, those who do look different, those who have messed up, those who don't have everything together and realize that they can't do it on their own. He goes, those people, they are welcome with him. I don't know about you, but that's really good news because I fall into that category. I don't have it all together. I can't do it on my own. I need someone who says, you are welcome into the circle, not because of you, but because of me. And when you come in, you're going to see all kinds of other people just like that. And this is why Jesus finishes his passage with, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? And I think the present time he was talking about is still occurring Now, the present time of, don't you see that the world is hurting? That the systems we've tried to set up aren't working. The Roman system didn't work. They weren't bringing peace to the world. The religious system of do all this, believe all this, think all this exactly, look just like us, wasn't working. Because there's a whole lot of people that were left out. The whole idea of you can be enough, have enough, do enough, doesn't work. The whole idea of only go with those who look like you, only go with those who have done all the right things or have done it in the way you want, he says it doesn't work. And ever since then, for 2,000 years, we've tried other systems that all have the same thread and theme, and it's still not working. And so I think this word of Jesus is just alive today of interpret the times. Notice that the circle of Jesus, this inclusive kingdom where the gates are open, is still expanding. The question is, are we a part of that circle? Have we accepted that it's not about us, but it's about loving God and loving others? Can we be people of justice? Can we be people of sacrifice? Be people who say, how can we work together rather than excluding? How can we unify together rather than dividing? And if our inclusiveness causes someone else to divide from us, What can we do about that? But let us never be the type of people who say, I cannot be with them because of their unloving ways, because of their demands that aren't from Jesus but are from themselves. I mean, think about the rich man. When Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, the man walks away sad, right? 
Why? Not because he's angry at Jesus. He's angry at himself that he can't get rid of that stuff. And I love that because no one in the New Testament can ever point to Jesus and say, he didn't make me feel loved. He didn't make it clear that I was welcome. He might have pointed out that something's going to have to change and that he's going to help me do it. But I always felt welcome at the table. I always felt that the door was open so that I could come through and worship him. Jesus wasn't afraid to be seen with me. And I think that's the invitation of this passage on this week. Can we be people who show an open door? The door, of course, being Jesus. But the beauty of it is it's just mercy and grace that we can't earn. We get to just invite people to say, come as you are. Come to Jesus. We may not think all the same things. We may not look the same way. We may not have the same background. We may not be the same financially or in our career. But none of that matters because it's about Jesus. Can you imagine churches that could do that? Individuals that could do that? That would say it's all about Jesus and we're going to bring division through our inclusion. And actually everybody is welcome. So brothers and sisters of both churches, I'm so excited that we can do things like this. Because we don't agree on everything theologically. Even within our own churches, we don't agree on everything. We don't all look the same. We're not all from the same places of life. Some of us have jobs. Some of us don't. Some of us have education. Some of us don't. Some of us have one hair color. Some of us, it's turning more gray. But we are welcomed together through and in Christ. And there's something beautiful in that. So brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're anxious about. But I do know this. I know that Jesus welcomes you as you are because you are loved, because you are forgiven in him. And Jesus invites you to be that agent of reconciliation. Paul says we are ambassadors in Corinthians of reconciliation, that we get to go just share the good news that God so loved the world he gave his only son. So may we live that and may we experience the beauty of coming together in Christ as people made in the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.